right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management. We talk about rehab after surgery. We talk about improved mobility. And we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. Welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Thank you very much for joining. We've got a, a, a wonderful topic. Uh, I, I, I can't say that I'll ever get injured by golf, but uh, we're going to be talking about golf injuries and rehab. We've got, of course, Dr. Rick. You know who he is. Uh, a man of many talents. And then we're uh, bringing on board uh, Mr. Scott Shepard. And we're going to be talking about the, the injury. Scott, give us a little background, a little 411 for the listeners of In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, Dr. Lehman. Uh, I've been a PT for 20 years uh, and based in Orlando, Florida. So obviously a, a hotspot for golf. And uh, early on in my career, I decided to target that area and learn a lot about it, work with uh, a lot of the local professional golfers and college golfers in the area. And so I got uh, very well educated on it and started working with some of the top pros in town and started uh, doing uh, sports performance work as well as injury um, on the physical therapy. I'm a physical therapist with, with Cora. And so I've uh, just been working with golfers. I've traveled on the LPGA tour. I've done lots of different experiences, been around all around the country with golfers trying to help them uh, stay healthy and perform better. Clearly, if you're looking out on the video and you're watching this and you see uh, Scott, he started his PT career at the age of two because he has got uh, quite a youthful face. All right, doctor, he's all warmed up. Take it away. Hey, well, first of all, thank you, Scott, for um, coming on board. I'm Dr. Rick Lehman, uh, the medical director at the U.S. Center for Sports Medicine here in St. Louis. And this is a great topic. This is truly a great topic with the summer coming, the PGA, et cetera. And we're going to talk about a sport that really has a lot of parameters and it has a lot of parameters because the PGA tour is one parameter. Uh, 80 year old guys playing golf is another parameter. Youth playing golf is another parameter. So these really, even though they're the same sport are, are, are not, the injuries aren't the same. The biomechanics aren't the same. And certainly the level of play of course is, is far different. So before we really get into this, Scott, let's talk about the golf swing. Kind of boring maybe, but let's let's discuss the biomechanics of the golf swing. Because when we start talking about injuries, it all starts obviously with the repetition of the golf swing and what happens to your body. So, so briefly go through the biomechanics of taking the club head back, the golf swing, and what your body has to do to hit a golf ball. Yeah. Um, so when you think about it, one of the things we always talk about is the golf swing kind of occurs in all three planes of motion. So that's a key element. Um, you know, you have some, some forward bend, some hinge of your hips, but you also have some lateral bend because one hand's lower than the other on the object you're tilted and then you're rotating. So really, uh, one of the keys, uh, within the golf swing is just having a good setup, a good posture position, and then it's really very sequential, you know, kind of working up from the ground, loading up to the top and then unwinding. So we talk a lot about um, kind of the, the kinematic sequence, which is something you would talk a lot about in throwers and pitchers and um, things like that. So there's, you know, it's kind of a wind up, which essentially is, you know, your backswing loading up 
and then and then the downswing for the release and then just to follow through for the exit energy that has to go through and you have to manage all these different forces and try to control them and hit an object that's sitting on the ground and it's not moving back at you so it's a little bit of a challenge <laughs> and, and, and so if you think about the golf swing and you described it actually very well what joints are stressed? Tell me about stress on the back. Tell me about stress on the knees. Tell me about stress in the wrists. Kind of, kind of what gets stressed when you try to hit a golf ball? Yeah. So, I mean, the back is a big one that a lot of people get into. And I think that's because, you know, obviously when you set up, you, you have a forward hinge. So you're, you've got some forward tilt. So there may be some flexion of the spine forward. Uh, so that's loading up the back. And then there's rotation and also tilting. So when you think about the mechanics of torque and stress on the spine, when you have a, a flex position and a rotational torque, you're going to have a lot of stress to the spine. So the spine is a big one that people um, often look at as, an, as a point where you're going to have some injuries. The mid back could be an area. A lot of us are tight. Um, a lot of average golfers are kind of desk jockeys as we call them and, you know, playing on the weekends and they, they don't really, you know, rotate any further than having to reach for the stapler. And then on the weekends, you know, we're trying to make this <laughs> big turn and into the backswing. So there's a lot of muscle pulls in the mid back. Um, and then just mechanically, just poor mechanics, you'll see people with, you know, shoulder injuries where they create impingement because they're trying to get a little more turn at the top, but they're just jamming the, sh the shoulder across the body, um, or they're, or they're trying to, you know, lay the club down in the downswing with the proper angles. And there's some torque to the, the elbow on the, on the, what they call the trip, the, uh, trail side. And then of course the wrist, the wrist in, uh, um, professional golf is probably one of the number one injuries. And that's probably due to volume, mostly just hitting, you know, you can only hit the ground so many times and, and the positions and things, and you're going to have some issues there. And the amateur golfer, it's probably because they're hitting out of the woods half the time, which means they're taking up, you know, tree roots and, and large chunks of grass as they, as they go through and they're, they're coming down at the wrong angles. They're taking way too much ground. <laughs> so those are, those are some of the, the, uh, the common stress areas, um, that you'll see a lot of, uh, the main ones I would say, you know, back wrist or, or two of the big ones. And, um, you know, and then there's just the, the hazards of being out on a golf course. So you're going to have an occasional, uh, you know, sprained ankle, too many beers or something like that. And, you know, so wow. there's a little bit of that too. I feel like Scott, you've been wandering around and following me on a golf course. I, I feel like you're telling my story on the golf course. Go I've seen it a few, I've seen it a few times. <laughs> so, so when we're talking about back injuries, which, which as an orthopedic surgeon who sees a fair number of golfers, I would say back injuries are fairly common. Kind of explain to us what is it, is it a muscular problem? Is it a herniated disc problem? Is it a nerve related problem? What, what happens to your back? when you injure it playing golf? So um, it's you know, like what you talked about, there's a spectrum with everything. So the way I, I look at pros a lot different than I look at like an average golfer. Um, an average, like an amateur golfer, a lot of times it, it's very poor movement quality, um, very inconsistent movement, movement quality, trying to swing way harder than they should be. So I see, you see a lot of muscle strains, a lot of mid-back thoracic strains where they – you know, they pull a muscle, they got a rhomboid strain and they're really trying to crank it up. Um, and then also just, you know, the volume of balls. So they go out and play around a golf and, and they're hitting a bunch of shots and they're forward flexed and they just are, they're in that position for a long period of time. So I think there's a cumulative uh, trauma or stress that happens that their body just isn't really prepared for. Um, on the flip side, on the pro side, I would say it's usually due to a lot, just long-term muscular imbalance. 
Um, you know, if I took a professional golfer or even a good junior golfer and I have them, you know, uh, screening them and I, you know, take their shirt off and look at their back. I mean, you can see some of these built-in tilts that they have in their spine that are helping them do their sport really well. Just like in a baseball pitcher has an exaggerated external rotation and, you know, they're, they're getting these modifications to their body that are good for sport, but bad for body. So, um, you'll see a lot of, uh, you know, injuries just due to just repeated micro traumas and things and, um, from the angles and the forces on, on the pro side. And so, so take us through your treatment of both. Let's take, take, let's start with the average golfer, the older gentleman who's reaching for the stapler and isn't really playing very much, but he's trying (laughs) to play 36 holes on the weekend versus how are you going to treat the professional golfer and kind of what, what's, what's the, the, the pearls involved in, in, in the care and treatment of these athletes. Yeah. So I always say like with a professional golfer, they kind of own the skilled movement. So you're not going to really spend a lot of time in that golf specific space with the good golfers that I work with. So you don't, it's not that you need some exercise that helps them move for the golf swing it's usually much more generalized traditional care. It's, you know, how do I get them out of the acute phase? They're in pain. What do I do to reduce inflammation? Starting with, you know, light stretching and movement and, um, you know, joint mobility and, you know, different modalities. If I need to utilize modalities, how do I get them out of that acute pain into the subacute and then start working back into their sport through a normal rehab um, process with an average golfer who's, you know, trying to play, I usually get a little more into the weeds with the body mechanics because a lot of times that's the number one reason why they're getting hurt is their mechanics are poor. They're inefficient with their swing. They're too tense. They're too tight. They don't know how to move well. And those are the people that I'll really start looking a little more at like, what are you doing in your, what are you doing in your golf swing? I really want to know what you're doing. Cause I think that that's having a bigger impact on this injury that's occurring. Um, then in the pro, you know, it's, it's more of a general, re- general rehab, just to put them in those two categories. I always say with professional golfers, um, they need specific, uh, more like specific rest and recovery and rehab. And they need that daily self-care and that work that's been put in. And some of the things you're seeing these guys who are lasting longer, like Tom Brady do, where they really invested in this self-care model. Um, because they need to get their body back a little bit more in balance. And then with the average golfer, they need specific exercise and movement. They need to learn how to move the right way to stop hurting themselves in their swing. And that's where you get with the golf pro and you look at their swing and you start talking about like these deficiencies. And then you start looking at the body parts and saying, okay, you need to be moving better here and here and here. And you break them down a little bit more biomechanically. So, so do you talk to the golf pro or do you just refer them back to their golf pro and, and what can you do? versus what the golf pro should do and vice versa. I mean, you yeah, tell so, a golf pro, look, we're not getting enough rotation or, or, or do you just say, Hey, look, you need to go back and let's, let's, let's really try to touch up your swing. And then, and, and vice versa, can the golf pro call you and say, you know what, this is a problem we're having and we need to address limited rotation SI joints tight, whatever the imbalance might be. Yeah. I've always felt like as a medical provider, our role with a sports coach is oftentimes to let them know what the, the limits of that person are, you know, like we, we have a good idea of what the limits are. So like for you as a surgeon, you know, 
what you did surgically to that patient. So you know what the limits are after surgery. And if, you know, let's say this guy had a hip replacement or they have a, they've got a shoulder replacement on one side, or they've had a history of rotator cuff. That I think is probably the most important conversation you can have with a sports coach, which is giving them a realistic idea of, okay, this gentleman or this, you know, female golfer, they're not going to be able to get their, you know, lead arm across their body where you want it to be. So it's just not going to happen. Like we can work on getting it better, but there's a limitation there and it's, you know, not going to change. It's not really modifiable. So you might need to modify your teaching technique to blend in with that um, and to, to help make sure that you're not going to just keep injuring this person. Cause everybody has, you know, a lot of instructors have a model of what they want to see. And, you know, you're going to assume you can try to get somebody to that position, but if there's a structural limitation or a surgical limitation, you're probably not going to get there. If it's a functional limitation, something that's modifiable by exercise, I'll let them know that as well. I'll say, you know, this, I think this guy just needs, he's just tight. Like he needs to stretch. He needs a program and we're going to help him do that. So I think when you start seeing those changes, freeing up, you'll be able to mess with their mechanics more. Um, that's our side of it. And then I have a really good relationship with coaches that I know what their technique is so well that I can actually skip steps and go and say, okay, well, I know he wants you to get here. So we'll just go ahead and start working on exercises and stretches that are going to help you get in that position better or make that your body more resilient to get into that position, like, you know, strengthen things up or give them more stability in a joint to help them get there, especially with juniors who are hypermobile, things like that. So, so let's talk about the hips and the shoulders. How much are they invoked? Um, we know we see a lot of wrist injuries and, and, and I do see a fair number of people that have some patellofemoral pain golfers, maybe they're walking up hills or doing a lot more walking than they're used to. But let's 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 pivot just for a minute and let's talk about hip biomechanics and shoulder biomechanics in terms of how much is invoked hitting a golf ball or how much should be invoked in hitting a golf ball. Okay. Uh, so with the hip, I mean, starting at the hip level, that's I think that's really important sequ sequentially, especially in an, in an amateur golfer, because a lot of amateur golfers don't utilize their lower body very well. They're very upper body dominant. They kind of like throw their body at the swing. They use their shoulders. They have this steep movements and they think, well, I'm hitting this object, so I should just chop wood with it. Um, but essentially you're, you're, if the, the proper sequencing of movement would be utilizing the lower body first. And because of so many people are just chronically tight in their hip flexors, chronically tight with hip rotation, structural limitations, a lot of this things they don't take care of through the years. And then they have to need a hip replacement later, uh, hitting, giving them a program to stretch the hips, getting mobility through the hips, especially like lead side hips. The lead side would be like, if you're right-handed golfer, my lead side would be, is my left leg. So I need to kind of post and rotate around that left leg. So I need a certain amount of mobility to be able to actually do that um, within a sports movement. If I don't have the move, the mobility requisite to do it, I'll do one of two things. I'll compensate my movement, meaning I just might like kind of slide past it or rotate back away from it or whatever. Um, and uh, that's going to lead to a certain set of problems within the sports movement that way. Um, or, you know, I'll try to force it. And then I, then I have an injury, you know, cause I'm trying to just push so hard into something that's not ready for it. So, um, the hip mobility, especially I would say internal rotation of the lead hip, so you can post well is really important. And that's where we get in these conversations. A lot of times, you know, patients who've had a hip replacement on the left side and they're a senior golfer and they want to keep playing and they're worried about posting into that left hip. 
And this is where as a medical professional, we get and talk to the sports coaches a little bit more and, and try to come up with methodologies. You know, can they flare that foot out a little bit more to let them open the hips? And what does that do to the rest of the movement? Um, you know, what type of approach did they have surgically? Was it an anterior approach? Was it, you know, there's different hip approaches that are just generally a little safer to, to rotate and move through. So that would be the hip. And then with the shoulder, I think the trail shoulder, which would, for me, like if I'm, I play, I'm actually left-handed, but I play golf right side, um, the, uh, is my right side. So we always talk about with the right side, the ability of the, the arm to kind of drop into the slot position. And at the top, we call it like a kind of a waiter straight position and then dropping into the slot and, um, skipping rocks is a good one. So, uh, if you've, if you've done that a few times in your life, um, we, we talk a lot about skipping rocks with the right arm. And uh, essentially what we've done is we've, we've taken everything back to the karate kid training level. So we just, you know, wax on, sand the floor, skip the rock. And then we never really say anything biomechanically at all. We just use those words and then it, it works. But with the right side, you need to be able to have some external rotation of that, that trail arm to be able to drop your arm into the slot. So if you've got a, an issue and you've had a shoulder surgery or you have really poor posture, like a kyphotic posture and you rotate it in, these are things we need to address in our screening and help these clients move better to be able to drop that right arm into the slot without overstressing the rotator cuff and um, the labrum and other tissues. That's very interesting. So do you guys videotape? Um, you know, like our throwers, we always send, I'll tell the team or the team dot case, send me uh, some video. I want to see him from behind. I want to see him from, from the side, et cetera. Um, but, I, but I don't really get a lot of video from my, my uh, PTs here in St. Louis that are seeing golfers. And even though I request it, it just seems like that's not a thing. Um, but you guys do do some video and kind of go back and say, Hey, look at this, look at, look at your biomechanics, oh, yeah. look what your foot position is, look at your back, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, like most of the golf coaches use like, um, V1 software. I mean, there's different types of, you know, 3d and different other types of analysis. Now 3d is a big one. There's some golf instructors utilize, utilizing these things called gears and they have these, you know, six dimensional cameras. So you can get a ton of information from that, that, will, you know, give you a lot of great information from the golf coach, but a lot of ours is the postural assessment. And if you look at somebody from the side, um, or if you look at somebody, what's called down the line. So if you're looking at where they're hitting, um, then you're standing back behind them. You can see how far they flexed over. You can look, are they kyphotic with their posture? You can look, are they maybe a little bit too lordotic with their posture? Like they have too rigid, too much of a, you know, track and field athlete trying to play golf. And you, you can pick up on some of these different things that, you know, could be leading to some of the injury, um, problems like the, you know, if you have excessive lordosis and then you have some low back pain and they've got the set issues and you're like, well, you're stuck in this extended position. That's why your back hurts and you can't rotate when you're extended fully. So you, you go through this whole movement training thing with them, but you know, we get into the weeds on the joint level a lot of times and the muscular level and let the coach get into the, a little bit more of the kinematic sequence level on the sports performance side, though, if you're in a gym setting or a PT setting where you're working on getting this person back and maybe you've got them tossing a medicine ball or using a band drill, you can get a little bit more specific to the golf swing there where you want to see them, you know, move their body in a, in a, sequ a sequential way to start, you know, reproducing that. So if they don't use their lower body correctly, you can teach them to use the lower body with different drills 
Um, if they use their shoulders over the top, you can teach them how to get their arms down faster with different drills. So, but we, we video a lot of that. I just love video. Cause I mean, when you see it, like, first of all, my golf swing is classically over the top. It's always, I played baseball and basketball and all the other things. And I just, you know, for me to generate power is my, my thought is I got to do this right there, but you know, I really need to get my arms to drop down. And so you think you're doing better. You're, you're like, ah, oh, this, this has got to be way better. And you start actually hitting a little bit better shots. And then the instructor shows you and puts you next to like, you know, Zach Johnson or somebody. And you're like, wow, <laughs> like I'm nowhere. Or Dustin Johnson, who's like really inside drop his arms in. And you're like, you're nowhere near that. So video, I think video is a tool. Honestly, we don't, PTs, we don't use enough video. I, I think we're afraid to pull our cameras out in the, in the clinic because of HIPAA violation or something. So we're like, you know, we're just afraid to put our, put our cameras out there. You know, as long as we clear it and when we show them that we delete the video off the camera or whatever, I'm using like, I, I use the video all the time. So. No, and I think that's great because I think I, to me, if someone, if I show an athlete, Hey, you're doing this or you're doing that they can understand it, you know, and it could be running, it could be throwing a baseball, it could be hitting a golf ball. Um, and, and, and I love to look at video because your, your, your physical exam is, is static and a video is dynamic. And so there's a big difference. Here's your range of motion of your back is a lot different than what your back's doing when you're hitting a golf ball. And so I think for, for listeners out there, everybody should really think of the dynamic biomechanics and, and, and try to, to press to see exactly what's happening when you're utilizing this part of the, the body. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the repetition in golf. I mean, you, you hear about guys like Tiger Woods, they hit a seven iron for eight hours, but what is, what, what happens and, and what is the damage done from the repetition? And is there any way to mitigate that other than playing less or staying at the driving range less or kind of, kind of explain that should it be more intermittent you know, how, how do we deal with that? So, um, like, a, I mean, a pro golfer, like I said, I said earlier, I think that I believe a pro golfer, um, should have a very specific rest routine. Um, like what is the, because I think they need to be looking at volume. So they've already mastered the skill and it shouldn't be just, you know, they have to have a plan when they go out to the course. And most of them do, you know, they work with their instructor and they have a plan and they're pretty, the, at the highest level, they're pretty you know, like, okay, I'm going to putt for this amount of time. I'm going to do this for this amount of time. I'm going to do this for this amount of time. I obviously we have some classic examples of guys who just have to grind. Um, we could get into, you know, the reason for that. There's, I think some neurotyping we could talk about a little bit with, uh, you know, Bryson DeChambeau wants to get on the range after playing around at the U S open because he's got to figure out his driver. So he's obsessed, right. But that obsession leads to a U.S. open victory. So, you know, you can make arguments about these guys. They're always at the extreme when they're at the, the, if you're at that level, you have to be a little bit at the extreme. Um, so for a pro, I think the best thing is for them is just to have a specific plan, like a weekly routine and a plan. Um, because like I said, pros need specific rest. Okay. Um, the biggest thing is a, as a, um, physical therapist trainer that you can do oftentimes is just get them to take days off, rest, recover their body or do active recovery methods, whatever that may be. If it's manual therapy, um, you know, just with their hydration, their nutrition, kind of delving into these other areas of their life, making sure they're getting the right amount of sleep, which a lot of these guys, as you know, now are, um, all of them are wearing like these, um, you know, activity trackers, like a whoop tra tracker or a Fitbit. So they know how much sleep they're getting their recovery. And I think the more specific those guys can get on those levels with their hydration, their nutrition and all the rest and recovery, that's really what they should be focusing on. 
um, because they own the skill. When you talk about a junior golfer who's trying to learn and master the skill, um, but they're also on like maybe, maybe a skeletally immature body. Um, that's, I think, another important conversation we have to have with their parents, which is you, you, yes, you need to learn how to do this move and it's a change and you're changing things and you're trying to master this movement skill, but you have to remember that drills are exaggerations. So drills are extreme and you can't do a lot of extreme or you're going to end up with a repetitive stress injury. So, you know, some of the angles that we have them practice to try to fix something are exaggerations of the actual movement. And you might turn a little further than you would, or you might swing an object faster. Like with speed training, you're, you're teaching them to swing an object way faster than they would in their normal swing. So you can't do 120 of those swings. Like you can do, you know, six good ones and rest, or, you know, and you have to have these conversations about making sure that um, speed training, which I think is a big one right now, a lot of these protocols, um, in my opinion, there's too many swings in them. They're, they're doing, you know, three or four different swings from different positions. They have you on your knees, they have you standing. It ends up being way too many swings. And I have a conversation all the time is that, you know, you would, you would never do anything else like that at max speed, no other sport. You know, if I, if you said, Hey, Scott, I want you to be able to pitch faster. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out and throw 90 fastballs tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, it would never happen, but there's something about golf where it's like, it's like deceptively dangerous and it's such a light object and you pick it up and you swing it around. You're like, I can swing this thing like really fast. I can just do this. I'll go do 90 swings. And then for like three days, you can't move because you pulled, you know, <laughs> you get all these injuries and, you know, stressed everything. So we have to have conversations with different populations about the volume. Um, pros just need to rest more. Um, and everyone else, we're trying to master the skill. We need to pace ourselves, meaning like, you know, here's the drill. Okay. You do 20 balls with that drill. Then you go back to your regular swing and you, you have to talk to the, even the pros about this, you know, to tell them like, gosh, yeah, I'm doing this one drill. And, uh, I remember we had a student doing a drill with, uh, where you're trying to increase speed and impact and you just kind of hit the sand and the bunker, take the club and just swing through the sand really hard. And you just try to get that sand to just fly out of there. And the instructor was like, Oh, you need to work on this. And, you know, gave a, gave kind of a vague, um, reps and sets type thing, which is very vague. It was like, yeah, hey, just work on this a little bit every day. And we had the girl, a young girl come in with it, ended up having a, like a fracture, you know, stress fracture reaction, stress reaction to her wrist. And then talking to her afterwards and mom says, well, we were working on this drill. And I, well, how many times did you do this drill? You know, and I'm like, we were probably doing a good, you know, 200 to 250 per day. And it's like, Oh, why would you, you like, you know, you, the common sense would think, you know, you have to gradually do that, but if you don't say it and they're trying to get better and they're just excited about the drill, they'll just do it over and over again until they have an injury. You know, and, and I think that's important because I think golf lends itself to repetition. You know, we have pitch counts in baseball and we say, all right, you're this age, you're going to throw this many times during the week. But when you talk to golf pros, you don't really get that much of a concern about the repetition. You don't really get that much concern about, I guess, swing count. So it's always curious to me why, as you said, you know, this is something you never do throwing a football or never do, um, you know, throwing a baseball. But the repetition seems to be okay in golf. And I think that is one of the things that leads to injury and, and overuse. And, and it's, it's a little bit overlooked. So I'm really glad when you're talking about the difference between pros and amateurs, basically, um, you know, how we're going to, how we're going to rest more versus how we're going to um, 
pace ourselves. And I think that's really a good way to put it. So is there anything, so I'm Mr. Stapler getter. I'm going to go play golf. What can I do um, at home or, or what should I do in my gym or, or at my workout facility or my living room to prevent myself from getting injured or number two, to improve my golf game? What, what are the home things that I should be working on that are not golf, that are not at the driving range, that are not with a club in my hand that can make me a, a better golfer and be less prone to get hurt. Okay. Uh, well, first I would say um, for the, you know, average golfer, they need to do much, much more. And like, even on a daily basis with the golf club in their hand. So I'm going to be a big proponent of, of, like mirror work, like practicing your swing in slow motion and, and, and slow motion feeling how things wind and unwind. But before you did that, I would say the mistake golfers have made in the past is they will just pick that up and, you know, they do nothing and they just start working on the positions. Okay. But we know from every other sport, everybody else does a warm up, right? And so a warm up would be a big one. And my warm up, you know, might be getting on the, getting on the foam roller and like not even necessarily rolling out per se, but just like using it as a tool to mobilize my mid back to get some extension over it and open up my shoulders. Cause I've been closed down at the desk all day. So I get my shoulders to open up and I do some, you know, floor angels and lay back on the foam roller and I do some extensions and like get some, get my spine to extend and get rid of that kyphotic posture. Because as we know, when we close down this way, it's hard to rotate. So we need to have things open up. So, um, you know, I encourage them to get a, uh, like a dowel rod or a stretching type pull and get it and, and do some work and with their shoulders and, and stretching with it and turning and moving, uh, stretching, get down on the floor, work on some hip stretches, get a, a, a stretch band or a, um, uh, like a stretch out strap or something along those lines and, you know, work on loosening your hips up. But if you spent a good 15, 20 minutes rolling, stretching, getting things moving, even your ankles, you know, all this, getting everything moving, your neck is a big one, uh, and your wrist. Then I think what would happen is your effective practice afterwards. If you went into your garage and just did some mirror work, you get so much more out of it, being able to get into better positions. I also think that with an average or an amateur golfer, because the positions of the swing are so extreme. Um, and, and you'll, you'll know that, you know, obviously because of the, from the medical standpoint, but, uh, oftentimes an injury, especially like a pulled muscle is, uh, the body pulling back saying, Hey, you know, that's, we don't go that far. Like, well, that's not a normal range for us. I'm a big believer that there's a, there's a fear of injury response that you need to work through. I don't believe you'll do something fast and I don't believe you'll do something at extreme motion unless you've prepared for it. Um, if you and I went out to the beach and we're throwing the football, um, I'm 45 now. I know that if I throw a football, um, and try to really, you know, go for it, um, you know, I'm going to pull something to my shoulder or something's not going to be right. So, I mean, I'm doing a lot of warm up. and again, golf for whatever reason is this sport where people just think, ah, no, you just show up and you just start swinging at high velocity. Don't worry about it. You're fine. But you really, if you spent some time doing a basic warm up on the range and just loosening up your joints, loosen up your body, you would find that your initial swings are better. Your practice is better. You're able to get into the specific positions better. Uh, so with our clients, we always recommend a general, it goes from general to specific and you just warm up generally. And then you freed everything up uh, like a track warm up, and it gets a little more dynamic and then you sprint. Okay. You don't sprint first. So that's that, that one is a big one for the people who are at, 
at the desk all day and, and things like that. Um, is that, but I, I'd keep the golf club in the office too and do lots of mirror work on when I'm on conference calls. So, <laughs> and, and, and you just mute, mute the screen and then just do your mute the screen, <laughs> mute the screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it, it's, it's the, it, probably the least, you know, embarrassing thing that can happen if the screen comes back on and you're in your top of your backswing, it's it, the worst things can happen. It, it, everyone, everyone who's a golf, there's a great commercial out there. I forget who did it on, but it's, it's just literally like people, you know, they're in the elevator and they got a mirror. So they're working on their swing. We're always working. I'm always working on my swing in the clinic. Um, I get made fun of quite often for, you know, well, what are you doing? I'm just practicing the positions, but, but I really think, you know, it's such a, it's a, to do it right is such a different movement athletically than what a lot of us have done because it's very coordinated three planes of motion a lot of your athleticism gets taken out of it because it's static. You can't be as aggressive. Uh, when you are aggressive, it ends up, you end up hitting it all over the field or, you know, all over the, all over the course. But um, so the more mirror work, the more practice work you can do. Um, and even in between shots, one of the instructors I work with always says, you have all that dead time when you're waiting for the next guy to take a shot. And he's like, go to the back of the range and just, you know, practice your movement and hold at the top and your impact and, you know, get a feel for it and then go hit your shot. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I really think it, I really think that it, it helps you a lot and in, in building some specific endurance for the patterns and the positions as well. That really makes sense, actually. So the one thing we didn't really talk about, which, which we see a lot of tennis players, golfers is wrist injuries. And, and I yeah. think as the game has become more explosive, we've seen, a significant increase in wrist injuries. We didn't use, you know, eight, 10, 15 years ago, maybe less common. Now golfers have gotten so much bigger and stronger. Guys are lifting weights. Guys are training the, you know, the John Daly's of the world that were heavy and kind of uh, maybe I wouldn't say non-athletic, but certainly not as ripped up have, have gone by the wayside. And now we're seeing kids 15, 16 years old and they're following the pros. They're just, big guys they're strong they're lifting weights whatever they're doing and now they're coming in and we're seeing a significant number of ulnar collateral ligament uh strains so the two things i want to talk about in closing are wrist injuries and then the boring golfer's elbow i want to but i really want want you to go over wrist injuries how to prevent them how you treat them and what are you looking for in that golf swing to try to avoid them all right. So we'll break it into the two categories again, because I think that's the best way to do it. Um, pros, wrist injuries. I agree with you. It's, it's on the rise. Um, and I think it's a volume. It's just like, uh, you know, you can easily look at baseball and look at the elbow and say, well, there's gotta be a point where this, this, you know, um, elbow ligaments kind of just give out. You can only throw so many times you can only, you know, close the car door so many times before it's things just start breaking down and brackets don't work. But with the wrist, it's, it is, there's a lot of volume issue there. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, these guys now, the way they're hitting the ball, they're really compressing the ball. So there's some of the wrist angles at impact are a little bit more bowed. So it, it can introduce the, a little more stress to the wrist with the angles. Um, we know that those are the effective angles to hit the golf ball appropriately. The question is one, I mean, are you hitting too many balls Two, um, have you built up that tissue tolerance to that? So on the pro side, a lot of it is trying to build up tissue tolerance and then manage volume. So if you want to build up tissue tolerance along your wrist, then, you know, you start thinking about, okay, what kind of, you know, grip exercises can I do? Um, 
we use gyro, like the gyro trainers. We use rice bucket, which is the old stolen from baseball. But we, um, I took uh, a uh, rice bucket, or I, I took a um, you know a Home Depot bucket uh, or Lowe's, depending on who the show sponsored by. Um, I took a bucket, filled it with rice, and put the golf club in it. And we have them turn the golf club and rotate through the position, dig it down in there and rotate, and really turn it all the different ways, and just kind of work that wrist around to build up specific strength into that. Um, so we had that, that we, we actually, um, kind of invented that, that, that was on the golf channel a couple of times we made the, made the, uh, the host do that. Um, so, but you know, I really think you got to do something to build up your tissue tolerance. And then from the weightlifting side of it, you have to ask yourself a question is what am I doing in the weight room? That is actually, um, you know, risk versus reward, not paying off for me. So when you think of Olympic lifting and you start, you know, loading weights into a front and, and into a clean position, and, or you start having people do front squats where they're loading their wrist, I've seen it over and over again. in uh, and a lot of our athletes that go to college, uh, especially the female athlete, the, um, strength and conditioning coach, well-intentioned, but is giving them a Olympic lift program for somebody who has a very thin, fragile, not, not strong enough wrist. And they're overloading it with a advanced movement that really needs a lot of training with either no weight or with a dowel rod or with a bar before you actually load this bar. And we get a lot of wrist injuries that happen in the gym setting. So I personally, I'm not a big proponent of the, of the Olympic lifts for developing the power speed part. And I, with the college programs that I work with, the two college programs that I work with, we don't do any of that. Um, and I wouldn't let the girls do it um, if they, uh, unless they told me like, yeah, you know, I've been doing this all my life and, you know, my dad's a CrossFit coach and this is what I do. Well, that's fine. You can do that on your own time, but I'm not overseeing the wrist injury that comes because it's just, it's far too frequent. And then you ask yourself, what's the value of it? What did it do for your game? Did it transfer over? If it didn't, then why are you doing it in your training? Push-ups could be the same. We generally tell people, I'm a big fan of utilizing push-up grips instead of overloading the wrist in a far extended position with the weight load, because, you know, just things happen. You get a little off and you kind of, you you know, you put some pressure in there. So I usually tell my clients to buy a good pair of, of uh, you know, you could use dumbbells, but push-up grips to, to put the wrist in a little bit more of a neutral position. I find that to be safer. Uh, we have had less injury problems with that. So with your pros, it's a lot of education. It's a lot of, you know, building up tissue tolerance and managing rest. And then with your amateurs, it's all biomechanics, the whole thing. It's biomechanics. Um, you go to go to, if you've been to top golf or one of these places, you know, and you just sit back and watch some swings. One of the most common swing faults you'll see is people who just scoop the ball through. They're trying to like create a, to get the ball in the air. So they scoop it through with their wrist. Well, think about the club just going like that and snapping your wrist into extension. There's a lot of injuries that happen at the wrist from just very poor mechanics. Um, improper positions of, of hitting the ball that where they just don't know how to do it. So, so you think, so you're talking about snapping the ball at the wrist. So you think really that's, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of a PT thing, but it's also somewhat of a golf pro thing to say, you know, you're, 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 you're overloading your owner side or you're, you're only deviating or whatever you're doing and you, you need to do this. Cause some of that, um, it, that that's right. I mean, but, but that's something that someone's going to have to repetitively go over to break that habit. Yeah. And of course you can build up the tissue there. So there's an argument that says, yeah, you know, give them the exercises. Of course I want to strengthen your wrist, but I don't, I'm not a, like a person who believes that any amount of like strengthening of a tissue can over, 
you know, can win over really bad form. You know, if you have really bad form with an athletic movement, eventually it's going to get you. Right. And if you, you know, I can strengthen your wrist, I can stretch your wrist. So if you have an acute injury, because that's what you did, then we treat it the same way we treat any other PT injury, which is we go through the phases, you know, of whether we need to do soft tissue work, whether we need to do stretching, whether we need to use, you know, cold therapy, whatever, you know, we need, if we need to use, you know, taping or, um, you know, things to support the area, that's how we treat that. But I would always ask a, an average golfer, is like, oh, you hurt my wrist hitting golf balls. I want to look at your swing. I just want to. Now, am I going to say it to be the person who says you're doing it wrong? Maybe not necessarily. But I, but, but I know, like, you know, there's like, you know, even a simple category of understanding the golf swing. There's a green light, a yellow light, and a red light. And there's certain mechanics that are just a red light. And you have to say, you know, well, you know, you kind of scoop that through. I bet you that's why that hurts. Tennis would be the same way. You see people like they don't have a good understanding of how to create an, a proper impact and rotating and through the ball. And, um, you know, the pros can do it very well. And then these amateur tennis players and they're like, Oh, you know, I've got this problem with this chronic tennis elbow. And it's like, you know, look at the mechanics and then look at the equipment and the, you know, the grip size and these other things that are factors that we can affect. But, you know, if I just give you a couple stretches and tape you up and then you keep playing, I mean, I, I imagine it's going to come back. Right. And, and I think that's a hundred. I mean, that I think the biomechanics are so important. And when you're a sports guy, you know, biomechanics are, are, are virtually everything. So let's talk about medial epicondylitis um, in the golfer. Again, same thing. How can we prevent it? How do we treat it? How long do we expect to be out with it? And what are the modes of treatment as a physical therapist? Yeah. So, um, with, with the, with the medial elbow, like, so a lot of times, yeah, you know, you'll see some trail side elbow, different um, position and maybe trying to create, uh, a little extra motion at the elbow that one, you can go back in and you start looking at as a physical therapist, um, or a trainer, maybe looking at the, uh, breakdown of the, uh, the kinetic, you know, chain, as far as like what happens at the shoulder, like where's the posture, where's the posture, if the posture is kyphotic and the elbow has to be out, does that force them to have to grip in a certain way to hit the ball where they're overstressing the medial elbow? Does do they have a lack of shoulder external rotation to drop the arm into the proper slot position, which again would not stress the elbow because it, if you have enough shoulder rotation, then your motion's happening at your shoulder girdle in the right tilt to the body versus it all coming at the um, coming down through the elbow. Um, so that one, a lot of times you're looking at that joint above, joint below, what's going on there. Um, and, and trying to see, you know, what are these other factors playing a part in why this person is having this chronic elbow pain with, with the sport, you could look at the grips. Um, I'm a big fan of looking at, you know, what kind of grips, some of these people who play golf, just they're playing the same golf clubs. They've had them for like 10 years. They never change their grips at all. They're like worn down. There's like threads coming off of them. They're just like, Oh, these are my clubs. But the grip, you know, plays a role, obviously, in how your hand sets onto the club. But there's also some shock absorption there, too. So it's a nice idea to have, a, like, you wouldn't wear the same tennis shoes as a runner for, you know, forever. Or, or at least put some new orthotics in it or something, you know. But there's some shock absorption there. Shock absorption with the medial elbow, I have found a lot of players who hit off mats a lot, which, depending on where you live and what type of golf course and range you're playing at, they may force you to hit off mats. They may not have, you know, regular dirt and grass to hit off of. Sometimes that mat, that mat material, depending on whether it's a really good one or it's a cheap one, it could be really thin, which means when you hit the ground, you're almost hitting the concrete below it. 
Um, it could be a little sticky, which means that it's kind of catching the club a little more when you hit it and sending a lot of stress back up the shaft of the club. And again, a lot of that ends up going into the wrist elbow. So I will talk to people about how many balls do you hit off mats? They're like, oh, I just, all I do is hit off mats. And I'll say, well, why don't you, you know, hit tee some up for a little while, hit them off tees or, you know, go out and hit them in the, in the, if there's a grassy area, try to hit in a grassy area or find, make sure you find a good mat that's not completely worn down to the concrete level that you're hitting. Um, so these are all like conversations you have with them to, to do that. And then from the treatment standpoint, I mean, for the, for them, you know, we could be looking at a situation where we need to utilize some, you know, grass and technique or system and soft tissue scraping, cupping. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times that, that medial elbow is a, it's an overpowering type thing. It's just, it's strong and it's pulling at the bone and the insertion sites. And so you're dealing with like micro tears. So I, I mean, I like kinesio taping. I like um, scraping. I like cupping. I like things that, that re- relieve tension in the area. And then um, obviously stretching and then, you know, acute um, uh, cryotherapy. And so, but sometimes it's not the one where you give them a bunch of exercises. It's more like you got to get it to rest. And it's not that you give them a bunch of grip exercises to do or something like that. Uh, there is a, some interesting training thoughts out there that, that with golfers and tennis that they overgrip too much and that like they overgrip and they should consider doing things to actually get some extension of the fingers. So you've seen some of these tools where they have like rubber band type setups where they actually work more on the extensor side. If you, if you do too much gripping, let's work on getting that balance back in the, you know, the kind of the yin and the yang of the, the flexor extensor side. So do you sometimes go back and say, Hey, you need a bigger grip or you need a, like yeah. in tennis, you might say, Hey, you know, your grip's too small. Um, as, as a physical, and I might look at a golfer and say, wow, look at how much tension you're putting on your medial elbow. Your grip's too small. Let's go to a bigger grip. Does a therapist ever say, you know what? I bet you this is a biomechanical problem. Let's look at your grip and let's see your overlap and let's see the tension being placed on the medial elbow. Or is that something, again, for the doctor or the pro? So um, I would say there's different roles, like, right? Like I wouldn't tell somebody to do surgery. Um, but people ask us about surgery all day long. Do you think I should have surgery on this or whatever? And I say, well, I think that you have a conversation with your surgeon about that. And, and I can tell you what I've seen in 20 years that some people get surgery in this condition. Some people don't. So we treat it that way. And, um, you treat it that way, usually just out of respect to the person who's the professional above you. Like I would for you, I would want you to make that decision about surgery. I don't want to tell this patient, like, you know, Scott said, I mean, I gotta have this surgery and you're like, <laughs> you know, you just, so it, it, I always say with grip, cause you know, golfers are, or golf instructors can be, you know, a lot like MDs, they have their preferences, you know, and they, you know, they have their way they've done it. Right. So if you go in and you're like, wow, this guy needs new grips, and the golf instructor come and say, if I put grips like that in this person, they're not gonna be able to feel the face position. You're going to really mess up their swing. And so I just have to come in and say, okay, here's the deal. A lot of stress at the elbow. One thing in the past that's worked for me is I looked at their grips and they're really thin. Like, do you think they should consider changing grips? So now it's back. It's your decision, whether you're doing the surgery, it's not me, but it's just a little bit of uh, back and forth, just out of respect is, you know, I kind of feel like I know what the answer is, but I, I'm not going to, I don't want to mess with me swing up. I don't know how important the game is to them. And I don't want to be, I certainly don't want to be the guy that like ends somebody's professional career because I told them to switch grips. Um, so I'm not going to be that guy, but um, I'll certainly pass that up to chain to you, doc. 
So that, that 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 was an excellent answer, and 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 I think that's right. I think I think that uh, just like I want to give the physical therapist their due, and and I'll, I'll defer to them if they say I want a dry needle. I say you know that's a good idea, blah blah. blah. So I, I I really pretty much agree with that. So I think this talk has been amazing. I really do, and and I I think your your understanding of of PT for golf, golf mechanics, golf swing repetition are huge is there something we should have talked about we didn't talk about what 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 do we forget on this talk uh i'd say the number one topic in golf right now is speed and distance we probably didn't talk enough about speed and distance um but everybody wants you know to hit you know bryson dechambeau is has become kind of the steph curry of the of the golf world which is you know steph curry we're like now oh, i'll 35 feet away from the hoop. I'll just shoot from here because, you know, I don't want you to guard me, so, but I'll just, I'll hit a high percentage of those shots. Bryson's looking at the golf course saying, ah, you know, 360 yard drive carry. I'll just hit, I'll just hit from here. I don't, I'm not going to hit the fairway. I'm going to turn this way and I'll hit over straight to the green. Um, so they're, they're changing the game with the length. Um, so a lot of people are chasing distance. And so from a medical side, we also have to be that little rational, like tap on the shoulder over here. It's like, okay, Hey, you know, let's remember, like if you're 65 and you're trying to chase distance, um, what are the things you need to do to safely chase that distance? You know, make sure you warm up, make sure you're really prepped. Look at the volume of swings you're doing. Don't overdo it with the volume of swings that you're doing. Um, make sure you don't use an overly heavy object or, you know, anything that's going to really hurt you as you're doing it. But I would, I, the, the speed programs are, have been made. And then this, there, there's some pseudoscience and I wouldn't session say that they have research behind it, but the research, I don't think always the research is the end result of the research is how much faster did we make the golfer? The calculation of, did we change the swing in a bad way? Did we injure this person? Are we seeing more injuries? And I've seen some videos of juniors swinging these speed sticks so fast. It's whipping around and their spines rotating all around. And you kind of go, they're like, oh, this is amazing. You know, look at this. But yeah, they're 14. We know what are they when they're 21. You know, you work with gymnasts. You know, my son is an elite gymnast. What is he doing now? What is his back going to look like when he's 25? You know, so he can, you know, do this now, but what is it going to look like then? And you don't start gymnasts doing, uh, you know, iron cross on rings until they're, you know, shoulder and their scapula is strong enough to control that, or you just disrupt the whole thing and you've wrecked it. The baseball pitchers are all getting wrecked. They're starting young and they're throwing hard. And by the time they're 21, their best years are done. And, you know, so we need to be having a conversation about speed in that. What's the volume of this speed training? Can we get, can we increase speed over time? Um, there's this thought that you have to increase speed in these, what are called speed windows for youth athletes. Like if you don't increase the speed now, that'll never increase. And I totally don't agree with those, those windows of opportunity at all. Um, I think you can increase speed later in life for swing speed. I believe you can do that. I've seen it. We have a speed program. We do it, but we need to be also asking a question is this drill that we're doing is so extreme. Are we actually injuring this athlete down the road? And what's that risk reward? Was that worth it? You know, are we wrecking this kid? Are they going to make it to college? Or are they going to have a, such a bad back from, you know, like just vomiting it out there? Are they doing the requisite stuff to make sure their body can handle those loads? Um, and that would be a kind of a junior, a junior golfer topic. Um, and the senior golfer for the speed is balance for me. So balance is, a, is the, 
limiting factor for speed on a senior golfer. I'm not going to swing an object really fast if I feel like I'm going to fall on my face, right? So in the senior golfer, are you considering balance? Are you training dynamically for balance? Are they able to accelerate and decelerate, but stay in balance? And that's how, you know, their side of it is going to be, a, be better than just, you know, always just max, max speed. So those yeah. speed, speed is a big topic right now. And we didn't, we didn't cover it as much, but we could, we could get into that at a different time. And, um, you know, so. so, so is it hard for an older 65 year old, 70 year old golfer? Uh, obviously it's hard to generate club head speed as you get older, you have less trunk rotation, etc. cetera. Is there growth? I mean, so you're 70, you're a pretty good golfer. You decide you want to take some lessons. The, the pro says, look, you have to increase your club head speed or there's no way to generate more distance. I mean, that's just physics. Is, is that, a doable thing for the 70 year old or is that, is that ship sailed? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's totally doable. Um, you know, each individual is going to have different needs. Uh, I would say for anybody, if they're, if they're older and they, they don't like work out at all, a simple thing would just be to start actually doing resistance training. Cause you know, you know, we're going to lose muscle mass over time. If I can get back some of that, just sheer force production, I could see that speed come up easier where I pretty much, you know, kind of like can swing within myself, but I actually am cre creating more speed. Um, obviously I think balance is something you can train. I don't think people train their balance enough as they, as they get older and, um, you know, simple tips and tools of, you know, having them, you know, practice in, in the mirror and brushing your teeth and, you know, standing on one foot and doing things, but silly little things like that, but just trying to get them to be understand more dynamically. If you're not interacting correctly with the ground, with your balance, you can't generate speed. You know, it's like, if you ever tried to swing it you know, a golf club standing on an unstable surface, you can't generate good speed at high speed. If you tried to hit a ball, if you tried to stand on a slippery surface and your feet get out from underneath, you, you can't throw with max speed. Um, so those things are, I think they're modifiable and I've, of course I've seen it, you know, but now the window or the ceiling, probably the ceiling is what goes, gets lower, but the modify, it is modifiable, but the ceiling lowers a little, of course, as you get older, the ceiling lowers. That's awesome. Well, listen, this was great. Um, very informative. And, and I think really sets a tone for the sophistication of where we are in golf. And again, you know, my, my go-to is always video. I love looking at video and trying to break it down and understand good mechanics, bad mechanics. But I, but I also think the, the, the thing that I see most, which, as I said before, I've not seen, is guys are training, guys are lifting, guys are working out. And it's not just go out and playing, you know, round after round or hitting a zillion balls. But you see guys coming in with pretty sophisticated workout programs and I think probably you can get by with hitting a lot fewer golf balls if you're in good cardiovascular strength. As you said, you're doing resistance training, you've got good core strength, and your mid-trunk is, is able to rotate. It's going to take you a lot farther than hitting an extra, like you said, they already understand how to hit the ball. And it's like a pitcher. A guy already knows how to pitch. You're not teaching him anything, having him throw another 100 pitches in a week. All you're doing is damaging their medial elbow or their anterior shoulder. So again, I think that correlation is, is true in golf. So if you've got anything to add, uh, you've been great, please add it. And otherwise I want to thank you. I've got, I've got a scenario. Yes, sir. So, so the scenario that I have is I, 
I'm rolling out to the driving range, right? And then I see this guy. He's doing sort of the Iron Cross equivalent at the driving range. And I can't let it stand, Scott. I can't let it stand. So I pull out my big head driver, right, with the sweet spot. And I'm going to compete because that Iron Cross guy, it, I can't let that stand. Am I doing something wrong there? And I'm just going to whack it. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm, you know, my presence is known. Is that, is that a problem? No, I, old guy? I, like I said, I tell my, the question is, is, you know, I had a, I had a 92 year old uh, or an 89 year old uh, uh, hip replacement guy. And he was uh, from Spain and played soccer all his life. And he said, you know, Scott, you're going to get me back to soccer, right? You're going to get me back. I've played, I've played my whole life. You know, am I going to be back to soccer? And he said, can you get me back to soccer? And I said, well, yeah, I can get you back for one game. <laughs> so that was our, that was our running thing is, you know, if you're only going to go to that driver yeah. one time, um, you're probably going to be okay. But if, uh, after that, we may have to, we may have to repair your spine. <laughs> Watch out iron cross drivers out there. I'm, I'm, I'm on the hunt. No, I'm not. Uh, I, I know my limitations. All right, Scott, how does somebody get a hold of you? Clearly, you uh, know golf. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so uh, exciting news is I just created a TikTok page, um, which I've, uh, I've been told that uh, men over 45 should not be on TikTok. Uh, but the, 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 for my children, my 17-year-old daughter, uh, no, I, I'm, we, I'm joking, but we, I do actually have one. But um, I'm on Instagram. That's a big one for me. Yeah. And uh, my handle is uh, Driven, uh, Driven Golf Fitness is my company, but uh, for the side hustles. Driven SPT, so like Driven Sports Performance Training. So it's at Driven SPT on Instagram is, is one way to get a hold of me. And then I'm in Orlando, Florida, uh, doing work with Cora and with uh, largely with the Jewett Orthopedic Group here. So if you have a need for, uh, you know, physical therapy as well, we, we got you covered on the rehab side. Wow. All right, listeners, he knows golf. He, uh, he definitely enlightened me in a lot of things. Don't bring out the big head uh, driver, that iron cross. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. All right. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always go to corephysicaltherapy.com. You will not be disappointed. Go out there. If you have any needs, it's there, Core Physical Therapy. Dr. Rick, you were great peppering him. He he answered every question. You couldn't stump Scott. He's, that's Scott Shepard right there. You can't stump him. Okay. No, I mean, he, this was so informative, and wow. I think for physical therapists out there, doctors wow. out there, golfers out there, there's just so much information if you break it down the way wow. we just broke it down or he broke it down. And I think that, again, this is the one sport where, where cross-training is just coming into its own. You know, we had this whole thing in baseball maybe 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, where guys started to develop and got stronger. And so everybody wasn't little skinny guys. And now you're seeing the same thing in golf. And, and these golfers are, you know, they're specimens now where 10, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, they weren't. So I think we're going to see a different set of injuries and we're going to see a different set of problems. I think we're going to see better golf, quote unquote, golf in terms of distance, etc. But I still think the biomechanics are the biomechanics, and I think Scott did a phenomenal job in going through those, so thank you. Excellent. All right. Thank you, uh, thank you very much for joining In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. <laughs>